You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and He calls us to preach the Word and proclaim His Gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. Well, it is such a delight and privilege to be with you today and uh, a great delight to be speaking on this uh, really important topic of uh, receiving God's words in the Bible. We're starting with Psalm number one and our focus uh, today is mainly in the Old Testament. Whenever I read the Bible, I... Uh, like to wonder what I would have written next if I'd been writing the Bible. I'm about 2,000 years too late, too late to take part in Bible writing, but anyway, I just wonder about that. And I think if I'd been writing Psalm number one, I would have dropped most of verse one. Uh, would have gone something like this. Uh, How happy is the one, and then jumping to verse two, whose delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. So why did God put the rest of verse 1 in Psalm 1? How happy is the one who does not? Why does Psalm 1 start with the negative in verse 1? before it gets to the positive in verse 2. I think the answer is that no one's mind is a vacuum and that if we don't fill our minds with the word of God, our minds will not be empty but will be full of rubbish. And notice how Psalm 1 verse 1 is constructed. How happy is the one who does not, and then there are three things. Does not, first of all, walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Now, They're not saying the same thing, they're saying different things. To walk in the advice of the wicked is to live advised by wicked people. To stand in the pathway with sinners is to identify with sinners and be consulting them and being advised by them. And to sit in the company of mockers, is the worst because that's to take your place with them as a settled situation. This is where you're going to sit and the place from which you will speak. So verse 1 is a kind of dreadful downward spiral and you might start by walking in the advice of the wicked and then move a few years later to standing in the pathway of sinners and you'll end up sitting in the company of mockers. 
And please notice, too, that you end in the worst place because the mockers are those who not only live the wrong way and do the wrong things, but mock the things which are right and mock God. Well, the rule, I think, is garbage in, garbage out. And if you live in verse 1, there is no room for delighting in the Lord's instruction and meditating on it day and night. So it's not that our minds are empty. It is that our minds are continually being filled either by the wicked, the sinners and the mockers or being filled with the Lord's instruction. It is that our affections are being shaped by the wicked, the sinners or the mockers or our affections are being shaped by the Lord's instructions. It is the case that our desires are shaped by the wicked, the sinners, and the mockers if our desires are not shaped by the Lord's instruction. Our fears are shaped by the wicked, the sinners, and the mockers if our fears are not shaped by the Lord's instructions. And our hopes are shaped by the wicked, the sinners, and the mockers if they're not shaped by the Lord's instruction. So what voices are shaping your life? What voices have shaped your life in the past? Whose voice is shaping your life now? We often read uh, Psalm 1 verses 1 and 2 as an exhortation to read the Bible. But please notice that is not the language used in verse 2. The remedy is not to read the Bible lots. (laughs) What is it? To delight, delight in the Lord's instruction. And then what will you do if you delight in it? Very good. Done. Top of the class. Give that man a banana. (laughs) See, this is very this is very far from uh, a modern practice of using the Bible, which is read and run. I've got to read a bit of the Bible today. I've gone ten seconds to do it before I have my coffee and run out the door. I've read the Bible. Now I can get on with life. Or I've got to go to church on Sunday, have to hear a sermon. Wow, I kept awake all the way through. That's a miracle. Now I can get on with life. To meditate, you see, is to mull over something, to ponder it, to reflect on it to think of what it means, think of the implications, to 
Meditate is to think how your life corresponds to this word of God, this instruction of God. This meditation is to reflect on the gap between your life and the instruction of God. It is to rejoice in the way in which your life is shaped by the instruction of God. It's to set your hope on your life being transformed to be more like the instruction of God. I used to advise uh, young couples at the church of which I was a minister uh, not to read the Bible every day, not to read a Bible passage every day, but once a week to have an evening where they studied a Bible passage deeply and then talked about it for the next seven days. Because I reckon that was more like meditating. See, well, I visited a family where they had, does anybody know what a blackboard is? <laughs> it's a whiteboard which has gone black. And uh, in the old days, all our whiteboards had gone black, let me tell you. And we, we, we wrote on them with something called chalk. <laughs> well, this family had a blackboard next to their meal table with a Bible verse on it. It was Galatians 5.22, I seem to remember. And they talked about that Bible verse uh, at each meal for a week. So three times a day, seven days a week, that makes, what does it make? Seven by three. Get your computer out. <laughs> I'll save your time. It's 21. That's right. That means 21 times a week that family was meditating on that Bible verse. What a great idea. Now, I'm all for reading lots of the Bible, but we need to be meditating on the Bible as well. I spent a, a couple of years ago, three years ago, I think, meditating on Psalm 90 for a year. Had a wonderful time meditating on Psalm 90 for a year. I did other Bible reading, but I meditated on that, and now it's part of me. Well, it would be great if you meditated on Psalm 1 because it does set the tone for the whole book of Psalms, doesn't it? It tells you how to start. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night, which is code for all the time. Now, of course, you have to think of other things. But your mind needs to be as well focused on the that bit of the Lord's instruction which is shaping you at present. And my advice is if you're reading a bit of the Bible and you think, wow, I need to put this into practice, don't move on to the next bit. Ponder that, meditate on it, start living it, start trusting God, start asking God to change you before you move on to the next verse. There's no point in accumulating more information if you haven't learned how to receive this word of God. And notice that the motivation for doing this in verse 3 is a wonderful motivation. It's, uh, it, it's a motivation of a desire to be alive and fruitful. He's like a tree planted beside flowing. You're walking through a desert, not a, not a speck of grass, only a dead lizard in the corner. Uh, nothing's alive. Then you look up and you see a tree. You think, 
that's wonderful. If there's a tree, there must be water. And there it is. He's like a tree planted beside not just a dull ditch, but flowing streams. And so much water is available to this particular tree that it bears its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. That's the vision of the one who delights in and meditates on the word of God. Now, uh, six months after I was converted, I went uh, up to university, and the first person I met was a theological student who did not believe the Bible. So we had nine months' debate on whether the Bible was trustworthy or not. I'd been a Christian six months, and I was faced with this question. Uh, And I'm thankful to say that he did not change my mind. And I'm so thankful because my trust in the Bible has continued. That's over 50 years now. And I get more and more delight from the Bible every time I read it. I read passages I've read before and I think, I've never seen that verse before. God must have snuck that in while I wasn't looking. The Bible gets richer and richer the more you read it, more and more splendid. It resonates with 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 the character of God. It speaks his language. And I think uh, that Christians who last as Christians are those who delight in the Lord's instruction and meditate on it day and night. The contrast could not be clearer. The wicked are not like this. Instead, they're like chaff. You've got, you've got your grain, you throw it up in the air uh, to, so the grain will fall to the ground and the wind will blow the chaff, the husks, away. Therefore the wicked will not stand up in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Is Psalm 1 about those who are members of the people of God who delight in the Lord's instruction, and those who are not, outsiders, unbelievers? No, Psalm 1 is about the people of God, some of whom meditate and delight on the word of God and some of whom don't. The Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. So firstly, delighting in the Lord's instruction and meditating on it day and night. I sometimes hear people discussing the issue, why should we trust the Bible? And the answer most often given is, we should trust the Bible and use the Bible because we need a reliable guide to God. Which is true, we do need a reliable guide to God. But ultimately, you can't say we should do this because we need it. You have to have a reason for trusting the Bible, and my reason is Jesus. Let's focus now on Jesus and the Old Testament. Jesus lived by God's word. Do you remember Jesus was in the uh, wilderness being tempted by Satan? He had fasted for 40 days, and Satan came to him, to test him. 
The tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. He answered, Matthew 4.4, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is, I think, an extraordinary reply. It's extraordinary because Jesus had fasted for 40 days. That's a long time. Surely you're allowed to eat after fasting 40 days. He turned water into wine. Why shouldn't he turn stones into bread? Perhaps it was because as he gave others rest, but he was weary, he healed others, but went to the cross. He saved others, but would not save himself. And he would miraculously feed others, 5,000 of them, but not himself. It's extraordinary because Christ did not reply with his own words, with his own authority, but used words from the Old Testament. It is written, he said, man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And he was underlining the fact that he was quoting from the Old Testament by starting with the words, it is written. And extraordinary too, because in the context of these words in Deuteronomy chapter 8, where they come from, Moses says, God humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This miraculous manna coming down from heaven was not just to fill their stomachs, but to teach them a profound lesson. We're kept alive by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And extraordinary too, because Christ, uh, quoting these words, was asserting that the words of Moses were indeed words from God's mouth. And extraordinary too, because Christ wasn't pulling rank, he was identifying as a member of the obedient people of God. He was one of God's people, identifying with this general truth for all of God's people. So he himself did not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. He too needed every word that comes from God's mouth. If you need the Bible, so did Christ. Are you better than he? Are you wiser than him? Are you stronger than him? And extraordinary because in his reply, Christ was doing exactly what he was saying. He was indeed not living on bread, miraculous or ordinary. He was in fact living by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying, quoting Moses, quoting God, this food, this book, is the food that keeps us alive. The question is not whether we'll be clever or better Christians or no more. No, the question is whether we'll be alive as believers. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. That is how Jesus, the Son of God, lived. Jesus says in John 10, uh, the scripture cannot be broken. He tells us in John 5, Luke and Luke, that he is the fulfillment of scripture. 
He tells us that the law will be completely accomplished. We learn from him that God not only spoke the words quoted in the Old Testament when it says God said, but also spoke the narrative, or, as we've just seen, spoke through Moses' words. We also learn from Jesus that people are in error when they add their traditions to the Old Testament. Turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 7. Oh, the Pharisees and some of the scribes, the Pharisees are the really keen Jews of the time, thoroughly committed to Scripture and thoroughly committed to obeying it. And the scribes are the people who study the law of uh, the law of God full time. They observed that some of his disciples were eating bread with unclean, that is, unwashed hands. For, Mark explains, the Pharisees and all the Jews don't eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing, keeping the tradition of the elders. When they come from the marketplace, they don't eat until they've washed. There are many other customs they've, they have received and keep, like the washing of cups, pitchers, kettles, dining couches. So the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders? Notice the question. They don't ask why they don't obey the Old Testament. They ask, why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating bread with ceremonially unclean hands? Well, Jesus' reply is not uh, to be recommended as a pastoral reply. Uh, Isaiah prophesied correctly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the doctrines of men. Notice what he says in verse 8. Abandoning the commandment of God, you hold on to human tradition. Verse 9. You invalidate God's command in order to set up your tradition. And verse 13, you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down. Well, that's terrifying, isn't it? To add to the Bible, to add tradition to the Bible, is to render it powerless. Now, it's easy to see how churches like the Roman Catholic Church or the Orthodox Church have added tradition to the Bible but it's a common evangelical custom as well, a common reformed custom as well, to add traditions to the Bible. We often do it with the best of intentions. We often do it because we've found something really helpful for us, but then we make it a rule for other people. When I was first converted, I read lots of missionary biographies, and all the missionaries who had biographies written about them used to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning to pray. Well, I used to get up at 8 o'clock in the morning to be late for school. So I thought, no, I want to be a keen Christian. I'll get up at 3 o'clock. So I'd set my alarm for 3 o'clock in the morning, get out of bed, kneel down next to my bed, and fall asleep, <laughs> and wake up at 5 minutes past 8, late again, and with a sore neck, and feeling a failure as a Christian. If you have the ability to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and pray, good on you, but please don't make it a tradition that somebody else has to follow. Please don't tell them this is what praying is. And churches can make up traditions like that too. And uh, please don't do that. 
So people are in error when they add their traditions to the Old Testament, but also ignorance of the Old Testament leads to error. Please turn to Matthew chapter 22. If the Pharisees and the scribes added to the scripture, the Sadducees took away from it. They only uh, accepted the law of Moses and not the rest of the Old Testament. So they said there was no resurrection, Matthew 22, verse 23. They questioned Jesus, teacher, Moses says, a man dies leaving no children, his brother is to marry his wife and raise up offspring. Then a little story, seven brothers all married to the same woman. And finally the last one carked it, which was a great relief, I imagine. Uh, and then she died in the resurrection. Whose wife will she be? Notice, look at Jesus' reply in verse 29. You are mistaken because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. Well, what a remarkable statement that is. He's not only saying they are wrong, he's saying why they're wrong. And why are they wrong? They don't know their Bible, and so they don't know the power of God. It's obvious, isn't it? If you don't know the Bible, you, don't know, you won't know what God can do. If you don't know the Bible, you don't know what God will do. If you don't know the Bible, you won't know what God has done. And then notice uh, when Jesus is talking to the Sadducees in verse 33, he says, Now concerning the resurrection of the dead, haven't you read what was spoken to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. So the words that God spoke all those years ago are words that God is still speaking today. And that's true of this book. The Holy Spirit inspired this book and the Holy Spirit is still speaking these words to us today. The ancient words inspired by the Spirit, but God's up-to-date, contemporary, today words ministered to us by God's Holy Spirit. Now, I've got a little diagram. Uh, it's quite a nice diagram, actually. The central line is God's Word, that is, the Bible, or, as we're talking today, the Old Testament. And adding to God's Word is a bad thing to do, and subtracting from God's Word is a bad thing to do. Liberal Christians tend to subtract from God's Word. They say, well, yes, I do believe the Bible except the miracles. Uh, and I do believe the Bible except the bit of teaching I don't like. And I, don't, I do believe the Bible except when it talks about hell. So snip, 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 uh, cutting out bits of the Bible. But uh, conservative Christians, I think, like Roman Catholics and Protestants who are conservative, tend to add to the Bible and make other things uh, which you have to do to be a Christian. I went to a funeral yesterday 
Uh, it wasn't mine. Uh, uh, you'd be pleased to know. Uh, it was a lady who was dead. That's why we had the funeral. And uh, we heard a remarkable story of this lady when she was, uh, she was a nurse and she met uh, a patient at a hospital and they got friendly, but then he headed off to Fiji without, you know, any promise of some more permanent arrangement. And then he wrote to her saying, would you marry me and come to Fiji? So she wrote back yes and uh, bought an engagement ring and bought a wedding ring and bought a wedding dress. And then, this was in 1943, took a plane to Auckland and then a ship to Fiji. Well, she was really trusting that man's words, wasn't she? She would look remarkably, she'd feel remarkably embarrassed arriving at Fiji with an engagement ring at a wedding ring and a wedding dress, only for him to say, oh, sorry, I, I actually wrote that, I thought I was writing to somebody else. I, I'm terribly sorry, I made a big mistake there, or I've changed my mind. No, she, she, she was risking her future on words. And that's what you do when you get married, isn't it? You believe that your husband or wife will do what they said they'd do in the marriage service, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death parts us. Risky business marriage. You're just trusting words that humans say. And the Christian life is trusting words that God says. We're always receiving God's words in the Bible. Now, here's a little summary of the Old Testament. Would you like a summary of the Old Testament? In uh, how, many, uh, how many quotations is it? Five quotations. Here we are. A summary of the Old Testament. It's about people's response to the word of God. God said in the garden, you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said. There's the heart of sin contradicting God's words. God gives his words to the people, Exodus 20. Then God spoke all these words. That's the introduction to the Ten Commandments, as you'll know. And the people respond, we will do and obey all that the Lord has commanded. But what's the summary of God's people just before they go off into exile? as summarized in 2 Chronicles 36. Why did God send them away from the promised land? Why did God send them off to Babylon? Because they kept ridiculing God's messengers, despising his words and scoffing at his prophets. The big sin was rejecting God's words. Well, after their time in exile, they come back and they make a promise in Nehemiah chapter 10, 29 to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses. Though, as we discover, even in the book of Nehemiah, they find it hard to do. 
And the Bible ends, the Old Testament ends rather, with these words uh, from the prophet Malachi, remember the instruction of Moses, my servant. What is a Christian? A Christian is someone who does what God says. Yes, that's right, yes. A Christian is someone who believes in God and in Jesus Christ. Yes, that's right. A Christian is somebody who shapes their life according to the Bible. Yeah, that's right. But before all that, a Christian is someone who receives God's words and believes them. A Christian is someone who doesn't block their ears to the words of God or not pay attention to God and his words. A Christian is one who receives God's words with joy. I want us now to turn finally to Psalm uh, 119. A long psalm. It's a psalm about the Old Testament experience of delighting in God's words. What is it live what it is what is it like to live a life soaked in God's words shaped by God's words delighting in God's words let's read together verses 1 to 8 Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not put people to shame having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart and learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not forsake me. And then we move to the next section. I want you to notice that this is a prayer to pray to God. So we should not just be reading our Bible, but actually asking God to teach us and guide us and change us as we read the Bible. So we're not reading to gain information. We're reading for transformation. And transformation will only ha happen if God works it in our lives. So here's a, here are wonderful words to pray uh, together. Let's do that now. Let's pray, it, pray together. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it in my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies 
and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things. Give me life in your ways. Confirm your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the approach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness give me life. They're wonderful words, aren't they? Please turn me. Please change me. Please direct me. Please protect me. Uh, you could do worse than make those words, the words you pray, before you do your Bible reading. Yeah. Uh, thus, expecting great things of God and attempting great things for God as well. <laughs>